0: Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Aaron DeLong. I'm the lead pastor here at Simple Church. I want to take just a moment before we get into what we're doing today to say thank you for being here. However you're with us today, either through our campus, Facebook, YouTube, or through our podcast or some other way. We're so glad that you're here today. You are part of our family, and uh, we're excited for the journey today. And uh, I I believe that God has something to say to each and every single one of us as we wrap up this series called Rolling with the Punches. Uh, In this series, we've been talking a little bit about uh, the fact that, that you can't control what happens to you in life. What you can do, you can control, is your response. This is a simple formula we've talked about uh, many times in our messages, we've talked about them at our third Thursday leadership development uh, lessons. And, and that is simply this formula, E plus R equals O. So we can put that on the screen somewhere here, right? E plus R equals O. E is the event. You can't control the events, okay? But you can control your response to those events, which will have an impact on the outcome. So the event, man, you lose your job, uh, you get hit hit by uh, a car, or uh, and you have an, a car accident. A kid gets sick. Uh, a financial crisis happens. Pandemic. <laughs> like insert whatever event. You can't control the events, even though we want to, but we can control our responses. And learning to control our responses uh, impacts that outcome. And that's why it's important that we talk about in this series how to roll with the punches, because I believe that no matter what comes our way, we can have a winning strategy, an effective plan on how to continue to be conquerors, specifically in our spiritual life. You know, Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. And I think that's absolutely true. We need to have a plan a strategy that is a winning strategy that includes when things don't go right. So that's what we're talking about in this series. And our key verse for this series is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. And it says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, so run to win. In other words, don't run to come in last. Don't run with a mindset of I'm going to come in uh, second place, third place. Let's run with a, an attitude of, I'm going to come in first place. In other words, let's give it our all. Let's give it our best effort. And he goes on to talk about how. He said, all athletes are disciplined in their training. In other words, they they, they have a regimen of things that they do in order to prepare. There's a mindset that they have. There's a physical condition that they have uh, in order to prepare so that they can win. He said, uh, that they're disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it. For an eternal prize, so the athletes might do it for you know the gold to win around their neck, the trophy, the prize money, whatever it might be. But all that stuff, it just it fades. But we we are running, we are living with intentionality, we are disciplining ourselves for an eternal prize. And of course, that that eternal prize is heaven, not just for us but for those around us. So Paul says, "So I run with purpose in every step." He said, "I'm running with purpose in every step." It means he's added to his life something that is so important in our spiritual journey and that is intentionality. He's intentional in how he's leveraging his time, his talent and his treasure so that he can win people to Jesus. He goes on to say I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm I'm not just shadow boxing. The shadow boxing we talked about at the beginning of this series is essentially just fake fighting. It's what a fighter does to to get warm up, but they're just punching the air. And my concern for us as Christians is that we may start out good. We may start out throwing punches. We may start out uh, leveraging our gifts to make a difference. And But, but over time, what happens is the spiritual disciplines that we put into place, the joy that we have in our relationship can very easily turn into a religious list that we just check off. And we what happens is when we step into doing all these things out of duty instead of delight, what happens is we fall into a religious rut. And the Bible, Paul was writing to to Timothy, another pastor, one of his sons in the faith. And he said that people would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That's what shadow boxing is, right? Is we got a form. We got our form down right. We look really strong. We look really good boxing, but we're throwing punches that are just with it in the air and they're not making a difference. And a, a life, a spiritual life of shadow boxing doesn't lead to the full and fulfilled life that Jesus paid for us to have. In fact, the Bible says that we are supposed to be conquerors. That means that we are supposed to be conquerors who are constantly conquering. It's an ongoing thing. We're never supposed to be in a retreat. We're not supposed to be settling for shadow boxing. We're supposed to make sure that our lives matter and the punches that we throw count. Amen, everybody. So as we wrap up this series and we've been talking about fighting, I just, I just want to ask how many of you guys have ever been in a fight before? I, 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 if you ever have, you know that a fight doesn't ever go according to plans. Like you think in your mind, when you're going to get in a fight, especially when you're back in high school, right? Like we didn't have these spontaneous fights uh, in my school. They were very calculated. It was like, Hey, let's meet in the bathroom at four o'clock just before we get on the bus. And you imagine in your mind what that's going to look like. You imagine going in there. You imagine some music, you know. Like there's a showdown, and you're ready to go toe-to-toe. And you imagine that you're going to throw punches, and when you hit somebody, there's going to be a little thought bubble that pops up around their head that says, Blow! and they're going to fly back, and nothing ever turns out that way. In fact, most fights, more often than not, just turn into slapping. Even with men, they're just kind of just smacking each other and and... hitting each other. Let them turn out how you want. Happened to me too in seventh grade. uh, There was a kid who wanted to fight me. I I can't even remember why, if I'm being honest. I don't know why he wanted to fight me, but I remember he challenged me and uh, I, I was like Marty McFly in Back to the Future. Nobody calls me chicken. Nobody calls me I was going to show up and so I knew I was going to get beat up because the kid who wanted to fight me He was strong and dude was ripped. I mean, he was much shorter than I was But the dude was fast. He was ripped and he was bent on fighting me And I don't even know why but I showed up in there and he showed up after me and man We went toe-to-toe and he was just 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 I mean he was doing these things He was kind of jumping at me like this like he was gonna hit me. He was just going <sniffs> laughing every time I would flinch looking at his buddies and that fight didn't go the way I thought it was going to go because, well, we didn't actually wind up fighting. See, there was this game uh, when I was in, in elementary school or middle school, I guess is what you would call that. And, uh, and, and the game was called Lights Out. Now, I don't want to give anybody ideas. I don't condone this. I don't think it's a great idea. It's definitely not safe, but it's just what we did. So I'm not prescribing anybody do this. I'm just telling you what happened. All right. So I'm not responsible. But, uh, but lights out is where somebody would walk in the bathroom where a bunch of his buddies were and they would flip out the lights and then everybody would just start swinging and kicking. Didn't know who you were going to hit. Didn't know what you were going to kick, but that's what happened. So me and this dude, were going toe to toe and he was swinging at me like he was just going to hit me, just teasing me. Next thing I know, somebody bust open the door and yells lights out lights went out and it went pitch black. Let me tell you what I did. I hated lights out. I didn't want to play. So what I did was there was a wall full of urinals really close by and I knew where they were. And I ran to the urinal and I ducked underneath one. I'm not proud to say this, and as disgusting as this is, I clung to the bottom of the urinal for life until the lights came back on. Oddly enough, do you know what happened during that session of lights out? that kid who challenged me to fight got thrown through literally thrown through the drywall in that bathroom made a huge hole all of a sudden they had this uh, impromptu closet that they could use for mop buckets and things like that and uh, and i'm not i'm not sure how all that happened because the lights were up when the lights came back on i snuck out from underneath that toilet washed my hands as fast as possible and went whistling to the bus stop like i had nothing to do with it that, that thing did not go how I thought it was gonna go. And that's how fights go for us sometimes. That's how life goes for us sometimes. It just doesn't go the way we think it should go. And there's a character in the Bible today that I wanna bring to your attention. His name is Hezekiah. In fact, he was known as Good King Hezekiah because, well, he did lots of good. Uh, In fact, as a king, he led people back to God. They had walked far away from him. And so he had restored a lot of things uh, re- regarding the law and the temple, and done wonderful things to turn pe- people 's hearts back to God, and yet things still didn 't go like he thought they would. So we 're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 31 verse 21. This will just get us started, and it says, "In everything that he undertook in the service of god 's temple and in the obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered." So you would think that a person that does that for God, that does those things that I just described, would have everything going in his favor, like perpetually, continually, right? Eh, wrong. He may have had everything going for him for a season, but the next chapter reveals that things suddenly begin to change for good at King Hezekiah. Let's look at chapter 32, verse 1, and it says, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, sometimes I think we feel like that, right? God... I just moved to this side of town. And, and actually, this just happened to one of my friends. Just moved to this side of town to, to uproot and to change my life and to do some th- different things. And my place just flooded. How can that be possible? God, I just, I just changed my thinking pattern or my eating pattern or my, my daily routine so that I could honor you and attend 21 days of prayer. And then all of a sudden I get sick. Like for whatever reason. That always seems to happen. When we commit to faithfulness, to discipline ourselves, and to serve God, the enemy always comes along. And that's what happened in Hezekiah's life. It says that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. And he laid siege to the fortified cities. Now, laying siege means that they would surround the cities so that they couldn't go out or they couldn't come in. No food could come in. No food could go out. Uh, they, they couldn't import, export. They couldn't get anything. And so, so what they would essentially do is choke them out. They would wind the people in these cities that, that were, that they laid siege to would typically wind up eating and drinking feces or urine in order to sustain themselves. Some of them even went so far as to, uh, cook and eat their children in order to satisfy or to sustain themselves through a siege like this, depending on how long it lasted. And so the point was to make the people weak so that they could easily conquer them, right? And that's what it even says. Is they laid siege to the fortified cities, the fortified cities were difficult to get into because they had high walls, thinking to conquer them for himself. And I think sometimes that this is the picture of the Christian life, because the enemy comes along when we take steps towards God. Like we take we take steps towards God in our finances, and we say, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you the tithe, which is... The first of all my income and it's the first 10% of it. I'm going to honor you and I'm going to do that. And then something comes along where we suddenly have a financial need and we're tempted to walk away from that commitment or in our marriage, we're tempted to give up or, or maybe even developing the habit of the pray of, of a time of prayer or reading the word or maybe, maybe, you know, we were faithful to getting into a group and, and we're experiencing the life that comes from being in a grow group. And, and it's just been easier to not do anything. And so we haven't even been looking to see. Are there new groups forming? What, what's happening at the church? We don't even know. We've taken our focus off it. Or maybe, maybe we've even said, you know what? I'm going to do growth track. And we took steps one and two, but we didn't come back for steps three and four because something shook us off our path because that's what the enemy does. The enemy comes along each time to throw you off your commitment, to break you down and shake you from your spiritual disciplines. Now, I I know that there are some of you watching today, your response to me talking about an enemy is, well, Aaron, I I don't really believe in the devil. Uh, And that's okay. But understand that your disbelief doesn't limit his attempt to destroy you or eradicate his existence. He is real. And since he's real, the first part of any strategy to win against your enemy will be to, and if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down anyway. Your first strategy will be to know your enemy. No, your enemy. Back to the story, Second Chronicles 32, 1 through 3. It says, when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff. There's two things here that that, uh, Hezekiah saw that for us uh, is really important, will help us understand our enemy. First, he, he saw the enemy. And second, he understood his intentions. He knew the who and he knew the do. He knew the enemy, the enemy in this case for Hezekiah was Sennacherib. And he knew that what Sennacherib was known for was that he was a conqueror and that what he was coming to do was to destroy them. He was going to come and he was going to lay siege around their city and he was going to to choke them out that way. And for you, I mean, you know that the enemy of your soul not only exists, you need to know that, but you also need to understand his intentions. So if you're a believer in God and the devil, that's great. But knowing why he exists and what he is going to do in your life is important as well. And Jesus told us that the enemy comes for three things, to steal, to kill, and destroy. The enemy isn't here to be your friend, to party with you. He's not here for your betterment. He's not here for your assistance. He is here to destroy you, to steal from you, to kill you. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not about people. Sometimes people might be involved in our struggle, but ultimately it's not about people. It's about, or, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly realms. People may be involved in the conflict, but the people that are involved in the conflict you're experiencing, they are being led by hurt. Because, man, you got to know that people that are hurt, hurt people, hurt people. These people are being led by demonic influences. You say, are you saying people are possessed by the devil? Maybe, but more often than not, people are oppressed by the enemy. More often than not, people are influenced by ideologies that are harmful and bring, and bring uh, division instead of unity. Things that, that bring pain instead of healing. And so these people are being influenced by these ideologies. And what winds up happening is we think we're fighting people and we miss out on the spiritual battle. But we're really fighting, Paul says, is a spiritual battle, not a flesh and blood battle. And I think we forget that because we can't see the enemy. We can't touch the enemy. We can't taste the enemy. Don't know why we'd want to taste him. Either way, because the enemy is not tactile, because... We are not able to use our senses with the enemy, we forget, and this is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. We don't perceive the enemy, and so what happens is we get lulled into letting our guard down. We forget he exists, we forget his intentions, and therefore, we forget his tactics. We are exposed to them. It's kind of like a frog in boiling water. I don't know if you've never ever tried to boil a frog before. I've never done this, but I know that it works that if you were to take a frog and toss it into boiling water, he jumps out because he can immediately sense that the water is hot. It's way hotter than his own body temperature. However, if you were to take a frog and put it into a pan and slowly turn the heat up, the frog will stay in the pan and allow itself ultimately to be cooked. And in, that, in this metaphor, you and I, we're the frogs. Man, the enemy has utilized entertainment, the things we entertain ourselves with, whether that's through games, or movies, or shows, or even the podcasts of the comedians that we listen to. Man, he is using those things to push his satanic agenda, to break down the moral fiber of our families, to break down the unity of the church, and to break down everything that is healthy and whole in our lives. But he's not doing it by throwing us into boiling water. He has slowly, slowly turned the heat up on us. And slowly and imperceptibly, we be, have begun to accept his agenda. Our morals have shifted according to the agenda of the world as a result. and Because at every turn, we're being influenced and we simply don't realize it. You want to see the truth? Compare where culture was only 20 to 30 years ago in regards to what they could air on television. What could be aired on the radio what we would entertain ourselves with, what we used to consider funny. We don't perceive the presence of of the enemy. His work is ever so subtle, but know this, that he is out to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to, be careful. We have to be alert. We have to do like Haggai tells us. Haggai is a very small book in the Bible, three chapters, but he says six times, consider your ways, 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 consider your ways. That's six. There's a clarion call for us as Christ followers, especially in regard to our enemy, to consider our ways. I think we've gotten so busy asking if we could that we never stopped to ask if we should. Is this what Jesus would be doing? What is, what is all this around me? Do we know our enemy? Do we know his ways? First Peter 5.8 tells us, Be alert and, so, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now I want you to notice this, and this is kind of silly, but it's also important, is that the devil is a cat. There you go. If you've ever wondered whether cats are from hell and dogs are from heaven, there is your answer right there so point is know your enemy the devil's a cat okay moving on so know your enemy and the second thing in your strategy uh for to win is to know your weaknesses know your weaknesses you know it's not good enough for you just to know your enemy you need to know his strategies against you in other words you need to understand your very weaknesses how is the enemy gaining access to your life so that he can steal, kill, and destroy. Um, things within you, there may there may be things that are raging within you that may even be dormant, things like unforgiveness that may be giving the enemy an advantage into your life. For Hezekiah, uh, it says this in Second Chronicles 32, uh two through three, he said, He consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. They're asking the question, why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? So here's what they did, was Hezekiah realized that that what Sennacherib was going to come do is lay siege to them. And one of the things they wanted to do was identify their own weaknesses. Like what would help the enemy be here longer. And he's like, we've got all these wells outside of the city. And what we need to do is go fill them in with dirt so that when the enemy comes, he doesn't find a water source. So that way he won't be able to stay so long. He won't be able to build this encampment against us and last very long, far away from a water source. They understood that they decided to close as many gateways as possible to the way that their enemy uh, could have access to them for us. This is the perfect metaphor for us. It means that, that, that what we need to do is start looking for the footholds. We need to start looking for the doorways that we're leaving unchecked. The, 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 the doors that are unlocked for the enemy to easily mess with our lives. And we need to look at them through, through the eyes of brokenness, pain, and sin. These are choices that we're making to do things that are, are contrary to God's best for our life. Those are the things that leave the door open in our life because brokenness, man, brokenness causes us to misbehave, right? It causes us to have an attitude. It causes us to act uh, towards one another with distrust. Pain, pain causes us to push people away people that would would readily come along and help us people that would be good influencers in our life we because of pain in our lives, we will push people away. We don't want to tell them about what's going on with us. We don't want to tell them about how we're hurting because maybe somebody in leadership has hurt us before maybe somebody from a church has hurt us before maybe 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 the offense we're holding on to is from a teacher or from a parent and 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 so we we just push people away because of the pain that we're in or maybe it's sin. You know, the choices that we make that are contrary to God's best for our life. You know, the sins comes with consequences that don't have anything to do with necessarily eternal ones. There are eternal consequences for our unrepentant sin. But there are also earthly consequences that come along with our sin, not choosing God's best. And what those things do is they eliminate God's blessing and and opportunities for our lives. And what happens is the enemy revels in these areas in our lives. He revels in these labels that we put on ourselves because of our brokenness and because of our pain and because of our sin. He revels in the identities that we have chosen for our lives that are not conformative to the image of Christ because our identity should only be found in him. He revels in the issues in our lives, the the areas that we've left unchecked. The truth is we all have issues. Each one of us is born into it. All of us come from a bloodline from Adam and Eve and they're the first ones that sin and all of us were born steeped in sin. There's nothing we could do about that. But I'm gonna to hear to tell you that those issues left unchecked, the things that you were born into, whether that's a family situation or just your sin nature or some brokenness or pain as a result, whatever it might be, those areas left unchecked become areas of weaknesses for us. And Paul said this, about our sin nature in his, in Romans 7 verses 18 and 21 through 25, he said, nothing good lives in the part of me that is earthly and sinful. There's nothing good in there. He said, when I want to do good, evil is there with me. What a miserable man I am. Who will save me from this death? Because man, brokenness, pain, and sin, that's all it does. It leads to death, not just the eternal death, Death to your relationships, death to your attitude, your opportunities, death to every area of your life. And he goes on to praise God and say, man, the answer is through Jesus. But Paul in this moment felt trapped. He felt stuck. And I think each and every single one of us can relate. And so we, we had the question like Paul did. How, how do I deal with this brokenness? How do I deal with the pain? How do I deal with the sin that is within me? And, and the answer is simply this. We have to, close those opportunities down we have to find healing otherwise the enemy will continue to use them as easy access to our lives for example uh, last year when we moved into this studio uh, about a month and a half after being here we had a fruit fly infestation and i mean an infestation we didn't understand our enemy very well because we kept putting out little cups and i mean little dixie cups full of apple cider vinegar and dish soap which Proved very effective. We had them all over this studio, all over the office. And yet, for whatever reason, every time we came back into the office, there were hundreds of them around the office. I would try to film and I'm smacking my head and they're, they're, they're biting me and all over me. Like it was just crazy. And and we didn't understand our enemy well enough. We thought our strategy to defeat them with the apple cider vinegar cups would work. And man, there were hundreds of them floating around the bottoms of each one of those cups. But for whatever reason, we couldn't kill them all. And what we learned was that these things, these fruit flies, they have a lifespan of about 50 days. And in this 50 days, uh, a female one can lay about 500 eggs. And it only takes them about a week to go from being an egg to being a full-born female fly who immediately, once she becomes a fly, goes from larvae to or what they call maggot to a pupae to being the fly, the first thing to do is find male flies and mate with them, and they store up that, that um well, what they get from the male flies until they're ready to have eggs. And then they lay 500 eggs. So even though we were killing hundreds a day, we couldn't keep up with the amount that they were of, of eggs that they were laying. And so... We, we just couldn't kill them all, so what we decided to do, and we we began to understand our enemy. Uh, we couldn't find the source of where they were coming from. We were looking in the bathrooms, we were looking in the trash cans, we were looking. We've got a, a drainage a drainage hole here in in the studio, and 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 for for water just in case this place flooded, and it, we're, they weren't coming from there. We weren't sure where it all came from, so we decided to, to get a bomb and we put them high, we put them low, we put we covered all the equipment in here and we bombed the office twice, twice. Sprayed chemicals all over this place and weren't allowed to have access to it for hours on end. And what happened was we killed them all. We We totally got to every single one of them and haven't had a single one in here until this past week. We've got more in the studio right now. My point is, it's just like with the fruit flies, We've got to find out the area of weaknesses and deal with it. For us, it was a weakness in knowledge. We just didn't know how to stop the enemy from from uh, infiltrating us and and create, laying more eggs and putting more flies all over the place. We didn't know where. We came to understand what and how, and that's why we acted, right? So how, how do we do the equivalent in our lives? Well, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5 tells us this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, right? We already know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. He said, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. That's a spiritual power to demolish strongholds. Now a stronghold is, is kind of like when the enemy lays siege on your life. It, it's, it's a stronghold. He has gotten a strong foothold in your life that you must now tear down in order to have freedom, he goes on to say, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Let me break this down because here's what you need to underhand, understand here is that spiritual strongholds in our lives, the weaknesses that we have, they are arguments and pretensions. Arguments has everything to do with the way that we think and the way that we reason around a subject. And pretensions our claim to something. In other words, we claim something is truth and whether it is or it isn't, we have this pretension. So, so he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension. This is wrong thinking about when it comes to, to God and to the way that we should live our lives in order to honor him and to be in right relationship with him. Pretensions, the claims that the enemy has made in our lives and the claims that, that other people have made in our lives. Ultimately, what it comes down to is that strongholds are deceptions that the enemy has established and has tricked us into thinking that they are true, therefore trapping us. And Paul says that the weapons we have are capable of demolishing those strongholds. They're capable of demolishing those arguments and those pretensions, arguments like, well, you know, God doesn't really exist or, or I love this one. If God's so good, why does he let bad things happen as if to, to deny his existence because bad things are here in this earth? Or I've heard arguments that Jesus is a dinosaur riding zombie and, and, or, or people make claims like Jesus, Jesus never claimed to be the Christ. You know, that's the Muslim faith. They, they go to scripture and they, they make these declarations. Jesus never claimed to be the Christ, which is totally not true. And in the places where he did claim to be the Christ, they dismiss those things by making false claims about what he really meant. They twist scripture so that Jesus is never declared as the Christ, therefore Muhammad, their prophet, is, is the, the one to follow, right? They, they honor him as a man of God, but not God. These are arguments and pretensions. And spiritual warfare is demolishing these things. And here's the thing, every spiritual stronghold all starts out as a thought. Your thoughts are, your, are the enemy's playground, your mind. And if you're lazy in your thought life, those thoughts that he will put in your mind, those arguments, those pretensions, those thoughts can become strongholds that change the way that you view God. So we must take every thought captive. That doesn't mean that we stop thinking about something. No, it means that, that we treat every thought that is in our mind like a prisoner of war. And prisoner of wars, well, they get questioned. Who is your leader? Where are you from? What is your mission? For example, we can ask ourselves when we're feeling insecure, why do I feel so insecure right now? Or for fearing, feeling fearful? Where where do those fears come from? What is this desire that I have? Maybe it's a lustful desire. What is this desire rooted in? or, or, or what is the right desire for my life that I'm going about the wrong way of getting it? right? We take those thoughts and we interrogate them. And then what we do is, is according to scripture, it says that we make it obedient to Christ, meaning we're going to look for the lies and we're going to flip them with the truth. Example uh, might be like, I may feel afraid. And in this moment, I can identify that. And I go, where did that fear come from? Because God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but he gave me one of power of love and a disciplined mind. Or you might say, I'm feeling an urge to do something that I shouldn't, I'm tempted. But I know God wouldn't let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. He's faithful that with the temptation, he'll also provide a means to escape. That means all I need to do right now is start looking for the exit because God's given me an exit strategy. What we have to do when those thoughts enter our mind, those arguments and those pretensions, we have to identify and replace the lie with the truth. That's what spiritual warfare is. Period. End of story. Because here's the secret. The devil can't beat you. He can only trick you into beating yourself. The victory over him was won on the cross, everybody. When Jesus hung on that cross, he declared, it is finished. He led captivity captive, but the only thing that is not bound, because his hands and feet are bound, his tongue is not bound, and he's still flapping. The Bible says that he is a liar. He's the father of lies. That means that if he is speaking, he is lying. So we need to choose. We need to choose today. Are we gonna succumb to his lies? Are we gonna let him trick us into quitting? Are we gonna let him trick us into believing that we're not good enough? Are we gonna let him trick us into believing that no one will ever love us? Or trick us into resisting every good relationship that we need in our life? Or even trick us into going back to addiction, believing that, you know what? I'm just never gonna be free from this. He will trick you. He'll trick me, he'll try, and he'll try to trick us into beating ourselves because he can't do it by any power of his own. We have to engage in warfare by taking thoughts captive and force them to be obedient to Christ. You know, uh, many of you know this about me, uh, that, that uh, I love sleight of hand magic. I've been an entertainer much longer than I, I was a pastor. I started at the age of 16, and uh, and I'd like to show you something real quick, but I want you to understand that I actually don't have any power to fool you. What I'm going to show you will fool you, but I don't actually have any power over you. Um, what you're going to see, your mind fools you into believing that what I'm telling you and showing you is true. You're going to see the deception and you're going to accept it. So here's what it is, just, just a dollar bill and a Sharpie pen and uh what i what i will do here is a little unbelievable but i'm going to take the sharpie and i'm going to shove it right down through the bill just like that just like an arrow piercing uh its bullseye my sharpie has now pierced the bill right and that's a pretty good that that looks pretty good now in order to fix it all i have to do is fold it back up just like this pull like that you can hear it tear a little bit but look just Look at the bill. No holes, that's it. Just a bill, just a Sharpie. Now, if you were fooled, you were fooled because of yourself. You, and you were fooled because I'm aware of your weakness. I'm aware of the knowledge gap that you have. I'm aware that you don't really know how, uh, what's really going on with this bill or with this Sharpie, either one of them. Because if you knew, if you had the knowledge I had, then you would not be fooled. Uh, Do you know who I can't fool very much anymore? My wife, because she knows the truth. She knows my ways. She knows how I do things. She's been around me long enough and she knows how I pull off the deceptions. She knows the truth. That's why I think it's important for you. You need to know the truth because if you know the truth in your life, that when the enemy whispers arguments to you, when the enemy makes claims in your life, You'll know what the truth is. You'll be able to flip the lie, declare the truth, and that truth will set you free from areas of weakness in your life. In other words, it'll defeat the enemy's strongholds there. Unfortunately, the nature of deception is we don't know we are deceived. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a deception. Uh, that's why we need to pray prayers like, like the following one that David prayer, prayed so that we, we can know, ultimately, I guess, what we don't know. Psalm 139 verse 23 through 24 says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, are are there areas in my life, God, where I'm giving the enemy any kind of advantages? Is there areas of brokenness that I'm just not aware of because, man, if I've been broken for so long. It's just become part of who I am, maybe even part of my identity. Is there pain in my life, relational pain, spiritual pain? Is is there something that I've been hiding away? Is there a sin that I've been choosing to participate in that I'm just unaware of? We're inviting the Holy Spirit to search us for any way that is offensive to God. And then he's going to show them to us. And then the question becomes, will we allow them to continue to exist these weaknesses these areas where we leave ourselves exposed to the enemy. So we need to know our enemy. We need to know your weaknesses. And the third part of a winning strategy is know your strategy. Know your strategy. Second Chronicles 32, 5 through 6, it says talking about Hezekiah again. And then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. You know, you've got to work at restoring things from your past. Listen, I'm I'm not telling you to do the work of changing your past. That's impossible. But what you and I can do and what the cross of Christ allows us to do is to change our relationship with the past. We don't have to let it rule us today or tomorrow. So we we have to let the broken areas heal. You say, Aaron, how do we do that? I mean, if I've talked to God about the brokenness that I've experienced in my life, what more do I need to do? Well, James five sixteen tells us to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. If you want those areas to be healed, you need to be vulnerable with somebody. You need to be open with somebody. Best way to do that is to get into a grow group. They are forming right now. In fact, they launch here in the next couple of weeks. I, if I'm not mistaken, you should be able to see some groups today, uh, either this week or next week. Right now online and make a plan, get in a group, get into a place where you can know some people, where you can take the mask off and say, this is where I'm broken. And I promise you what you're going to find is people that will love you unconditionally and walk with you through that brokenness so that you can be healed. Next thing Hezekiah did was, says that he built another wall outside that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. In other words, what he did was he created greater visibility for the for the weaknesses outside of the walls, uh, and and what this would look like for us is accountability in relationships. It, it's being open and to having a relationship with someone who you give permission to 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 call you out and say, hey, you know that's really not very honoring to God. That's not very honoring to yourself. It's not honoring to your spouse, uh, whatever that might be. You give them permission to speak into your life and hold you accountable for following after Jesus for walking this spiritual journey. You got to have watchtowers and extra walls and then he said this in 2nd Chronicles uh, verse 5 and 6 again, he also made large numbers of weapons and shields. You know, as Christ followers, we're not called to be on the defensive just to hide behind our walls. No, you make weapons and shields because you're going to make some advancements, not because you're going to hide from the enemy. You're going to make some advancements and you're going to take the ground back from the enemy. You are going to be a moving forward troop. That's why you have weapons, and shields. And for us as Christ followers, we have what's called the army of, or the armor, excuse me, of God. It's the helmet of salvation. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's the belt of truth, the shield of faith, shoes of peace, and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And I want you to know that all of that armor that I just described to you, it covers the front side of your body because God never intended for the backside of your, of your being to be exposed as you retreated. He intended each and every single one of us to be part of an advancing army, not running away and hiding army. We're to be the advancing army of God. And in addition to these things, in addition to the, to the armor of God, God also put gifts in you, in each and every single one of us, that when you use them, when you surrender them to God and say, I'm going to use them to make a difference, man, that will help you take more Enemy ground than ever before. You say, Aaron, I don't even know what those gifts are. Great, fill out a digital connect card today. You'll find them in the description of the the video today, and you can click that and say, I want to go to Growth Track. I want to get involved, and we'll get you involved. Growth Track has a simple, easy process for you to discover why you're here, how you're wired, and the purpose God has planned for your life. We'll help you find a way to make a difference so that you can take back enemy ground. So if you're gonna win the battle, you must get active. And engaged. And I'm just telling you, for many of you, I'm, I, I'm, I've been saying it week after week. This pen, during this pandemic, you've slipped. Man, they say the national averages for people that have returned to church are somewhere around 40%. And that's not even people who, people are vaccinated. You're, you're traveling. You're going a lot to lots of different places. You're going to sporting events. You're going back to concerts where you've not returned to for whatever reason is to church. It is time to get active and engaged in making a difference, to be active and engaged in spiritual warfare and taking back the enemy's ground. It's time to get back into a group. It's time to rejoin a team. It's time for you to be part of what God is doing, not only in your life, but in the life of this community, rescuing people from the fires of hell. And it's time. I'm just gonna say it like it is. It's time to repent repentance isn't a bad thing it's an opportunity to turn back and it's the goodness of god that leads us to repentance and so i am calling you today to repent to turn back to the healthy strategies that were in your life and watch this here's the last thing that hezekiah did verse six says he appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate hezekiah appoints leaders over the people and this is such a wise thing to do And you need to understand that God has done the same thing for you as well. He's given you leaders, people that you need to choose to submit to as a spiritual authority in your life. This can be pastors like me. Hi. This be your grow group leaders, people that care for you, people that are willing to speak truth to your life. That's why I'm convinced more than ever that you need a church. It doesn't have to be simple church, but you need a spiritual covering, a spiritual authority, a church and a pastor and some leaders to walk with you on your spiritual journey. You were not meant to do it alone. You need someone in your life that is leading you on your spiritual journey. And you gotta know what that strategy is. You gotta settle your past. We gotta equip ourselves with the armor of God. We gotta leverage our lives and our gifts to make a difference, which requires intentionality on our part run with purpose, like Paul said, then ultimately we've got to choose to submit to a spiritual authority and have them help lead us on our journeys. And the last thing Hezekiah does is he encourages them. And my prayer is that, man, you'll be encouraged too as we take up arms against the enemy with specifically with the words that he said. It says that he encouraged them with these words, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I like that he's telling them, don't do these things. Don't be, be afraid or discouraged. That means that it's a choice. We have a choice to live a life of fear, to live a life of discouragement. We have a choice. We know how it's okay to be afraid and to do something anyway. That's, that's called courage. Um, but he's saying, don't, don't remain in that fear. Don't allow it to polarize you. Don't allow your discouragement to keep you from doing and acting on your battle strategy. So because the king of, of Syria and the vast army with him For there is a greater power with us than with him. And that's what you need to remember too. With him is only the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. He goes on in verse 20 to say, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. Point of all this, the battle belongs to the Lord. Hezekiah knew that in the beginning and he surrendered himself to a time of prayer. Whatever you're battling with too, you know, we're we're, we're on this 21 day uh, prayer journey we, that we just wrapped up and, and now it's become a habit in our lives and we're continuing it. And you need to take whatever it is that, that you're struggling with, whatever that brokenness is, whatever that pain is, whatever that sin is, lay it before God. Ask him to help you with it. Because here's the thing, winning the battle, it isn't up to us. I think a lot of times we think it is. We think, we think that we've got to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus, that we've got to get this thing right before we can ever come to church and get to know who God is. Those are simply not true. It, it isn't up to us to defeat the enemy. It's, it's up to us to do our part, but then God comes along with His power and His strength, and He does His part. Our part is to know our enemy, It's to know our weaknesses, to know our strategy, so that we are well equipped and ready to fight. But as we roll with the punches in life, take comfort in the fact that ultimately the battle belongs to the Lord, because it will never be by might nor by power, but it will always be by God's spirit, says the Lord. Amen, everybody. Let's pray. Father, I pray for all those that are experiencing some sort of brokenness some sort of pain or tendency and and to sin. God, I pray today that each and every single one of us would come to know not only you, but to know our enemy and to know that all these things, this brokenness, the pain, that even the temptation to sin all these things come from him today, I pray that you would help us to understand the weaknesses in our lives that he is taking advantage of, that you would search us, that you would reveal to us what we don't know. God, my, my prayer is, is that as you reveal those things to us, as you speak to us, as you uncover those, those areas of brokenness, those areas of pain, those areas of sin, that we would choose to repent from our sin, that we would choose to confess the pain, we would choose to share the brokenness so that we can be healed. And Lord, I pray that, that in this fight, we would be encouraged, that we would not be discouraged, that we would not be afraid, but that we would be courageous and engage in the battle and stick to our strategy. Because man, once we make that that commitment, the devil's gonna try to stop us every time. So Lord be with us, help us. Now there are those of you here today, man, you don't know Jesus at all. And I have to tell you that the road to healing from the brokenness and pain and the, the decisions you've made contrary to God's best for your life or sin, the best thing that that I know that you need and the road to healing from those things is to walk with Jesus. He offers forgiveness, he offers healing, he offers wholeness for our lives. In fact, he offers a life like no other. He promises us, he said, I came so that you would have a full and fulfilled life. I came so that you'd have freedom. He came so that you could know God today through him. And so if you're ready, if you're ready to, to not only have those areas of your life dealt with, to be forgiven, to be given eternity in heaven, but to begin to understand your purpose and you're, why you're here and to help others experience the same. Man, that, that's what we're here for. That, that's what this church exists for. Reach people far from God and help them follow Jesus step by step. So if you're ready, if you're ready to have a relationship with God through Jesus, I'm gonna pray this prayer and I encourage you to pray these words. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Heal every area of brokenness. Heal every pain and take it from my heart, Lord. Use it for your purpose and your glory. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live for you and teach me how to tell others about you. Thank you, Jesus, amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer today, all of heaven is having a party and so are we here at Simple Church. We celebrate with you. And we encourage you in this moment of you taking the best step you could have ever taken in this moment and in your life is to take uh, the next best step. And that is to fill out a connection card. Again, the link for the connection card is found in the description of the video or if you're in our online campus, it says digital connect card. But if you'll click on that and fill that out, say, I said yes to Jesus today. We wanna help you on your next steps because we don't believe you're supposed to do it alone. That's why we're here. And so we would love to join you in that journey. Let us know you made that commitment today. Amen, everybody. Well, as we wrap up our service today and this series, I wanna give an opportunity for you to give. Thankful again for your faithfulness. All the ways to give are here on the screen. You can give digitally or through mailing it in right now as we're not meeting in person, but once a month. Uh, Know that that is hopefully uh, coming to an end. We'll be able to meet again every Sunday in our own building, continue to pray for us. Uh, in that endeavor, but uh, one one story I do want to share with you is uh, recently we had an opportunity. Uh, we we give funds or a percentage of every dollar that comes in every month away to missionaries and one of the missionaries we've committed a certain amount of money to is uh, Kenji and Sierra uh, and they are the Chi Alpha directors. They're missionaries essentially to The Ohio State University. and. Uh, they, they got started right before COVID hit. And once COVID hit, they got shut down. And so they've, they've been faithful, uh, faithful to love and to serve the students on that campus. And they've continued to reach people, but now they're finally able to meet. So the clubs are opening back up and they're finally able to meet and they got a space and they got a date and time. And so they're gonna be able to meet uh, at, at eight o'clock in an eve- on one of the evenings here during the week and uh, they needed a miracle, they needed $8,000 in order to be able to uh, purchase all the sound equipment and everything they needed to be able to fill that space and preach the gospel to the students on the campus of The Ohio State University and Sybil Church. Not only did our monthly donation go to help that, but we were able to uh, use some of the funds that we had set aside for when opportunities like this arise up and we wrote them a check and they had everything they needed and more uh, within just a few days of putting out the ask. And so I just wanna say thank you so much for your faithfulness and giving. Your giving is not just making a difference here at our church. Man, we are pulling students out of the fires of hell down on the OSU campus. And when you get to heaven Sunday, God is gonna say thank you for your giving. Those students will come up to you and say, thank you for giving to the Lord. We appreciate your faithfulness. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You are a part of miracles that man, you may never even meet those people here on this earth or get to know their stories, but someday you will in heaven. So with that, I say I love you guys so much. Join us back here next week as we are uh, gonna roll through Vision Sunday. We're gonna celebrate some of the things we've done this year. We're gonna talk to you about what I feel God has laid out for us for the rest of the year, knowing that a lot of that is, of course, uh, tentative based on where we are gonna be at in a building and, and how things are going there. But I love you guys so much. Tune in next Sunday. God bless you.